hello Crossway, and in fact just a very warm hello to uh, each and every one of you from the youngest all the way to the oldest. I'm glad you're tuning in. In fact, I want to say thank you. Uh, I'm sure I'm speaking for all of us uh, just to say thank you to Pastor Moore and to his daughters, Mariana and Madeline, for leading us in worship. In fact, if you haven't benefited from that yet, you'll want to make sure to um, plug into that video and let the Moore family help you in worship this morning. Um, so here we are again in our third week of this alternative to our gatherings on Sunday morning. And I have to tell you, I'm still trying to get used to uh, talking to a camera and imagining your faces there instead of seeing them all in front of me. Um, but nonetheless, we're glad to be able to connect uh, in this way. I do want to tell you it has been so encouraging to me to hear back from you. Uh, your emails have been very encouraging and uh, in some cases just downright entertaining um, to hear your own experience of uh, watching these videos on Sunday mornings. In fact, let me just share with you a couple of these. Um, this past week, this, in fact, this came uh, very soon after uh, this family must have watched the video. This is from Sunday just afternoon. This is from Christy Beam. Uh, here's what she says. Thanks for your sermon today, Pastor Mike. I thought you'd enjoy hearing about how family church went for us. We did songs, prayer, and the lesson for the kids from Jen Boucher. And while they colored their pictures, we listened to your sermon. At one point when you addressed the listener as Christian, Jacob, who has a cousin named Christian, started cracking up and saying, I'm not Christian, I'm Jacob. Then we got about three quarters of the way through the sermon before we started to be climbed on. Not too bad, better than I feared it might go. So that's from a young family doing their best to have family worship together, which is just wonderful. And then uh, from the other end of the age spectrum, this is from uh, Rod and Karen Severson, um, who are part of that wonderful just band of strength that we have in our church of our seniors in their 60s and 70s and 80s. So this is Rod and Karen. Um, Rod says, thank you all. Karen and I just got out of church, our living room sofa and are very lifted up, encouraged, emboldened, and thankful for his word and the great worship. You all did a wonderful job. We are hoping for sofas and recliners when we return. I can just hear Rod chuckling when he writes that. And then he says, and oh yes, a cup of tea with cookies beside me. I'm looking forward to next week. God is good all the time, Rod and Karen. So, And by the way, I also got a few comments about these books uh, behind me. I actually had people uh, make requests to borrow certain books, and I had other people uh, recommend some volumes for me to add to my collection. In fact, yesterday I received in the mail a book to add to my collection, but I don't want you to be distracted by these. In fact, I want to call your attention to this book. Um, and so would you now please take your Bibles with me once again and turn with me to the book of Psalms, and find Psalm 131. The last two weeks, we've looked at two other psalms, two great psalms uh, that have spoken to us about God. Um, two psalms, each one of them making this, this clear and bold and strong statement about who God is and what he is like. Psalm 46 
God is. Remember, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. And then last week, Psalm 121, God is our helper and our keeper all the time. These great psalms that tell us who God is and what he is like. And now this week, I want us to look together at a psalm that actually says something about us and what we're like, at least uh, what God's word calls us to be like. It gives us a picture of that, just a brief, kind of homey, sweet, but very vivid picture of what God's word calls us to be like. So you follow along as I read Psalm 131. This too is God's word. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. You know, there's a verse um, that's found in the book of Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, and this is what that verse says. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. That's the picture that is here in Psalm 131. In our being quiet, in our quieting ourselves, in our trusting, we will find strength and steadiness and peace and rest. And it's all because of who God is. God is our refuge and strength. Therefore, we can be like this. God is our, our helper and our keeper. Therefore, we can be like this picture in Psalm 131. As we consider God, as we direct our thoughts to God, which is where our thoughts should be directed, we belong to him. He made us. We were made for relationship with him. As, as Augustine said at one point, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, in God. So these psalms about God, they really help us. Psalm 46, Psalm 121, Psalm 68, verse 19 that I quoted for you last week. Um, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. They help us, these psalms, they help us to see God and who he is. And now here in Psalm 131, we are helped to see how we should be and in fact can be because of who God is and what God is like. So let's look at it. This psalm really has three parts to it. Each part has its own verse. So three verses and kind of three steps that David, this is written by David, King David, three steps that he takes. So let's look at where David goes first in this psalm, verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So when we read that, we've got to ask the question, 
what is David talking about when he speaks about a heart being lifted up? Or when he speaks about eyes being raised up? Well, very simply, he's talking about our human pride. He's talking about the pride that likes to exert itself and to exert its sense of being in control, to be in charge, this, this kind of overweening confidence that we got this, we can handle this, I know what's going on, I know how to do this. What David is speaking about is what another biblical writer speaks of as leaning on your own understanding. You recognize that verse? That's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. I think my mother uh, must have included that verse in every birthday card that she ever uh, wrote to me. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is what David is referring to here in verse 1. Leaning on your own understanding, lifting up your heart in a sense of self-reliance and pride. You know, as I've, as I've reflected on what's happening in our nation and in our world with this coronavirus, several things have kind of stood out to me, but there's one thing that has really stood out, and it's how unsettling this is for all of us. I mean, it's, it's unsettling. It, it makes us uneasy. And I think at least one of the reasons for that, perhaps the main reason for that, is that this is really threatening our sense of being in control, of being able to manage things. Um, both in us being able to control the spread of this, but also in us kind of being in independent control of our lives and not having our routines and our freedoms restricted as they have been. And I think about that in comparison to other threats that we face to our health and to our lives. I was just curious this past week, so I looked up, I googled um, leading causes of death, and I was a little bit surprised to find out that, you may know this, but that alcohol-related deaths are the third leading cause of preventable death. 88,000 deaths every year in the United States from alcohol-related um, things. And right now, we are at, I think, about 1,700 deaths somewhere in there in the United States from this virus. And obviously, that is, that is sad, and that number is going to go up. Um, but I think about 88,000 deaths every year, and that's the third leading cause. Uh, the second leading cause is, is things related to poor diet, and the number one leading cause of death is uh, the use of tobacco. 480,000 deaths per year in the United State, uh, States. That, that's, that's like 1,300 deaths every day. And I can wonder if the reason why we're not so unsettled by those things is that in those things we exercise considerable choice and control. We're still in charge. If we want to drink to excess, that's our choice. If we want to eat poorly, that's our choice. If we want to use tobacco, that's, that's our choice. But this virus is so unsettling because we're clearly not as in control of its effect on us. And the steps that we're trying to take to, to minimize the spread of this disease are so disruptive 
to the way that we want to, to live our lives and to our sense of freedom that we're in charge. We don't like um, when our autonomy and our sense of self-determination is threatened. And here is this huge thing, this global event that is telling us you are not as in control as you think you are. You are not as independent as you might think. Listen, this tendency to walk around like what verse, refer, verse 1 refers to, with, with lifted up hearts, pridefully thinking, we got this. That tendency infects all of us, and this idea to, to um, have the freedom and have the ability to call the shots and run our lives and be in charge and lean on our own understanding, that infects every one of us. And yet, here is David saying, I'm not going to do that. I am not going to go through life lifting up my heart and raising my eyes. Now, that doesn't mean we don't try great things. You know, when David says, I don't occupy myself with things too great for me, that doesn't mean we don't attempt great things in life. It's simply saying we must remember who we are. We must remember our place and not presume that we can manage, that we We've got this. It's like what we saw in Psalm 46. Remember, the nations are raging. They're lifting up their hearts. They're all full of themselves. And God says, you be still and know that I am God. So in this first verse, we, we see this purposeful turning away from this prideful self-trust, this prideful self-reliance, away from the posture of heart that says, I got this. I can manage this on my own. Well, if that's not the right posture of heart, what is the right posture of heart? What should be the posture of our hearts? Well, let's look at the second step that David takes, verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Do you hear this? The psalmist is purposing to be still. I have calmed and stilled. I've quieted my soul. He, he is being still and knowing that God is God. And then he gives us this, this beautiful, very simple, but this utterly profound picture. Like a weaned child with its mother. That word with is, is actually probably better translated on, like a weaned child on, upon its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Because God is who he is, I can be like a child resting peacefully on its mother's lap. Because God is who he is, I can be content. That's the image here, this child resting peacefully on its mother's lap. David is saying, that's what I'm like. That's my soul inside of me, my deepest inner person. That's what it's like for me. I'm at rest. I'm content. I'm peaceful. I'm not worried. I'm not fretting. I'm not raging. Listen, the important thing about this picture is that the child is resting on another person. The child is able to rest 
precisely because of the presence of that other person. Take away the mother from this picture and there's nothing for the child to rest upon. The reason for the resting is not primarily that the child has decided to rest. No, the reason for the resting is that the mother is there and the child has learned to rest. Now, I know that David says there at the beginning of verse 2, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I, I see that. But the reason for the illustration that he uses uh, is to show us that there is a reason that he can do that. There is something, someone to rest in. Friends, you take God out of the picture and you can try to tell yourself all day to not worry. You can try to tell yourself all day to you know, calm down, settle down, be at peace, and it won't make a bit of difference. You will not find peace. The reason there can be a real quieting is because there is a God who is a very present help in time of need. He's a refuge. He's our strength. He is our keeper, and he keeps us day and night. I hope someone's saying amen out there. Um, so parents, think about this. Parents of little ones, um, when your little one is um, in one of those rare and precious moments of actually being quiet, when they're still on your lap, when, when they're just resting and, and leaning into you and at peace, don't just say, oh, how sweet. Instead say, Lord, I want to be like this. Lord, this is what I want to be like, just like this. I want to be resting and at peace. But now, after sharing that picture, David takes one more step. He now turns to his, his fellow believers, his brothers and sisters in the Lord. Verse 3, O Israel, hope in the Lord. In other words, what I'm doing, verse 2, I want all of you to do as well. O Israel, hope in the Lord. I mean, this verse, verse 3, tells us something very important. It tells us that what David was doing in verse 2 is not just some self-help. I've quieted my soul. No, it's him putting his hope in the Lord, and therefore he's able to quiet his soul. And here now in verse 3, he calls all of us to do the same. O Israel, O people of God, uh, we could say, O Christian, hope in the Lord. Remember that verse from Proverbs that I referenced uh, just a little bit ago. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Put your full trust fully in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it, it means to trust in his promises. Trust in his promise that he'll provide for you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us everything that we need. Put your hope there. Put your hope in his promise to be your keeper. The Lord will keep your life. He'll keep your coming and your going from this time forth forevermore. Put your hope there. But, but I want to call your attention to a very specific thing that we are to put our hope in. Psalm 131 
is actually part of a group of psalms. I mentioned this last week when we were looking at Psalm 121. There's, there's a group of psalms here that are called Songs of Ascent. If you look at the very beginning there of Psalm 131, you'll see that same little phrase, a song of ascents. And there's a group of them. It goes from Psalm 120 all the way to Psalm 134. If you look, you'll see that at the head of every one of those psalms. These were songs that the Israelites would sing as they made their way to the city of Jerusalem in their annual pilgrimages. And right, and Psalm 131 is part of that group. And right before Psalm 131, in Psalm 130, we see something very special. So just look up at that Psalm 130, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. What is that? Well, look a little further up in that psalm at verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. So, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his Iniquities. In other words, our God is a forgiving God. Our God is a redeeming God. He has promised when we come to him to forgive us for all of our sins. Friends, find rest, find quietness, find strength for your soul in the fact that your God is a redeeming, forgiving God. Put your hope there. If you are in Christ, God has done this. For you, he's forgiven your sins, he's redeemed your life, and you can rest, and you can do that all the time. O Israel, hope in the Lord. When? All the time. Every day, from this time forth and forevermore. So when you get up in the morning, and when you lay down at night, and I'm, I'm being very serious when I say that, and I'm trying to be very practical, when you get up in the morning, put your hope in God. Oh God, today I put my hope in your promises of provision and protection and forgiveness. And when you lay your head on your pillow at night, put your hope in God. Oh God, I put my trust in you as I lay my body down in all of your promises to watch over me and to keep me. Every day, all the time, from this time forth and forevermore. Do you see that word there? Forevermore? Does that ring a bell? Remember last week in Psalm 121? Look over there at that last verse of Psalm 121. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Listen, because he will keep us forevermore, we are able to put our hope in him forevermore. Because of his forevermore, we can have our own forevermore. It's beautiful. This is the logic of our life as believers, as Christians, because he is who he is. I can be who he calls me to be. I can be and do what he calls me to do. I can trust him and rest in him and be still and not be afraid and not fret Friends, genuine faith is marked 
by a calm confidence in the Lord. You don't work this up. It comes because God is who he is and you trust him. So the state of your soul is not determined by your circumstances. The state of your soul, in fact, is this unshakable restfulness in God, knowing who he is. Crossway in quietness and trust shall be your strength. Because God is strong and because God is tender and because God will never change from everlasting to everlasting. He is our God. So put your hope in him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for speaking to us so clearly and beautifully so that it affects not just our minds, but our hearts. God, we want to be like this. We want to be like David. We want to be like this child. And we know that we have every reason to expect that we can be because of who you are. We've learned over these weeks what you're like. God, thank you for being a refuge and our strength. Thank you for being present, a helper, a keeper. And because we know this about you, we want to be like this psalm calls us to be quiet and still and putting all our trust in you. Father, thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just um, say a couple things here. I'll touch base with you again midweek uh, via email. I'll be looking for that. But would you uh, please keep praying for us? I, I want you to know I'm so grateful um, for our pastoral team, and I'm so proud of them. Um, every one of them is, is working hard. They're, they're trying to kind of be creative and um, make adjustments and stay in touch with you. And there's been a different kind of busyness, a different kind of work, and that makes for a different kind of tiredness at the end of the day. So would you please pray for us? And we will keep praying for you. So God bless you, one and all. Um, we'll talk again next week. Bye-bye.